0: chapter thirteen of carpenter's world travels alaska our northern wonderland by frank carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty b chapter thirteen over the gold seeker's trail i have just taken a trip over the first railway line ever built in alaska this is the white pass which runs from skagway over the coast range to whitehorse at the headwaters of the yukon the road was built at the height of the Klondike Stampede to carry passengers over the mountains to where they could get ship for Dawson. The work was begun in eighteen ninety eight and finished less than two years later when the first passenger train, a string of flat cars, brought at gold dust worth two million dollars. The White Pass Railway is only one hundred and eleven miles long, and although not as expensive as the Copper River Road of the Guggenheims, it cost millions to build. The first 20 miles cost on the average more than $100,000 per mile, and there are sections which cost half as much more. During the construction, 3,500 men were employed, less than 30 of whom died or were killed on the job. The work went right on through the winter, and within 18 months after the first pick was raised, the trains were carrying thousands of passengers and millions of dollars worth of freight down to the seacoast. Beginning at Skagway at the head of the Lynn Canal, the White Pass Railway runs through the rocks along the winding valley of the Skagway River and up the steep slope of the Coast Mountains. Here and there, the track hangs to the sides of cliffs so steep that the workmen had to be lowered in slings from above to drill and blast out the ledges for the roadbed. After reaching the top of the pass, the track runs for 27 miles along the winding shores of Lake Bennett crosses a canyon 215 feet deep upon a great bridge of steel, skirts the Whitehorse Rapids, famous in the days of the Klondike, and finally ends at Whitehorse, 350 miles from Dawson, by the Overland Trail and over 100 miles more by the river. The bridge over the canyon is the farthest north cantilever bridge in the world. The road was well planned and well built and has been well managed from the start notwithstanding the heavy snowfalls it has most of the time been kept open throughout the winter it has rotary snow plows which will cut a path twelve feet deep through the drifts there were few accidents during the construction work at one place an engine jumped off the cliffs but the men raised it with block and tackle at another place now marked by an iron cross perhaps two feet high a rock weighing more than one hundred tons fell from the side of the mountain and crushed two men who were blasting the way for the track. The rock was so heavy that it could not be moved, and the monument was sunk in its center. The endurance of the workmen was almost incredible. At one of the construction camps at the top of the pass, the festoons of ice that formed in the dining tent in winter from the steam of the cooking had to be swept down before each meal, but the icicles would form again before the meal was over. Everyone ate muffled up in coat, hat and gloves enormous quantities of supplies were needed and the base was a thousand miles away not only must they be brought to skagway by steamer from vancouver or seattle but after they arrived they had to be packed up the steep trail to where the building was going forward many of the workers were gold seekers glad of the chance to make expenses while they waited for the spring to open up the way into the interior they were high-class labor but not always dependable. When news came of the gold strike at Atlin, some twenty-five miles east of the White Pass, fifteen hundred of them dropped their picks and started helter-skelter for the new fields. The man who built the White Pass Road was Michael J. Henney, who afterward constructed the Copper River Railway for the Guggenheim Syndicate. Henny was an expert engineer, had an iron nerve, and was a master in handling men. He would not allow liquor or gambling inside his camp at one time a desperado belonging to soapy smith's gang set up a gambling saloon in a tent close to the route. when henny ordered him to go away he refused henny then turned to his camp foreman and pointing to a rock half as big as a house that hung over the tent of the saloon keeper told him in the hearing of the gambler to blast that rock out of the way by five o'clock the next morning the gambler, thinking that this was only a bluff to make him move, did nothing about it. At five minutes to five o'clock the next morning, the foreman came and told him that he must get up and leave, or he would be killed by the rock. The gambler replied that the foreman might go to Hades, whereupon the latter said, I am too busy to go there this morning, but if you are not out of this tent, within two minutes by this watch, you will find yourself there. I shall order my men to touch off the time fuse within sixty seconds. The fuse will burn one minute only, and at the end of that time, the rock will fall and crush you to death in this tent. Then the foreman ordered fire and sought the shelter of a rock. Ten seconds later, the gambler rushed after him with his shirt flapping against his bare legs. He continued to go, and when last seen, was on a dead run down the trail. come with me for a ride over this first railroad of alaska the cars are comfortable and we shall have moving pictures of magnificent scenery all the way up the mountains we shoot out of skagway into a canyon through which flows a rushing glacial river we follow this for a mile before climbing the hills and pass on the way some log cabins which the old timers tell us belong to a town nicknamed liarsville because no one who lived there could tell the truth a little beyond we can see where the river breaks through, and farther up the mountains we find it tumbling down over the rocks, splashing like the falls of Lodor. Great beds of red flowers line the track all the way to the top of the pass. There are trees on the lowland and everything is green. Passing onward, the engine toils up the steep sides of the cliffs, winding about in horseshoe curves until it reaches the top 2,900 feet up from the sea. The White Pass makes this great climb within twenty miles and has only one tunnel along its whole route as we go up the mountains the climate rapidly changes now and then we get a breeze from a glacier and jack frost traveling on the wings of the wind over the perpetual ice chills us to the marrow this is perceptible as we cross the canyon and catch the cold air of the muir glacier not far away we see one glacier with a silver thread falling down the green slope below it a little lower the thread swells to a rope lower still it has become a great cable and it ends in the foaming skagway river dashing down over the rocks to the sea passing over the mountains of the coastal range we come into a new and different country skagway is as moist as puget sound while white horse in yukon territory is as dry as denver in southeastern alaska it rains almost every day and the soil is like a wet sponge once over the pass we are in a region which is as dry as a bone and in midsummer as hot as the sahara it suffers from many forest fires there is plenty of soil on the northern slope of the range and at first sight the country would seem excellent for farming i am told that it is not the soil is sand on a bed of gravel and the rain sinks through and is lost farther north the soil changes but the air grows drier and the climate is like that of our rocky mountain plateau all the way up the mountains runs the trail the gold hunters climbed before the iron track was constructed they made their way through the ice and snow and many died never reaching the top of the pass one part of the trail known as the dead horse canyon was so named for the horses that unable to bear the toil of the journey gave up their equine ghosts at that point the year before the road was built more than five thousand dead horses were counted on the trail some had lost their footing and were dashed to death on the rocks below others had sunk under their burdens and utter exhaustion and had to be thrown over the rocks while still others lost heart and actually committed suicide by throwing themselves over the cliffs one miner driving a mule team got the animals at last to the top when the leader, who had been twice over the trail, jumped over the precipice, dragging the others with him. Not far from Dead Horse Canyon are traces of the old road built by George A. Brackett before the steam line was constructed. Brackett came from Minneapolis to Skagway and built a road up the mountains. He had toll gates here and there, and the charges ranged from fifty cents each for foot passengers to two dollars for a four-horse team it is said that when the white pass railway put him out of business he sold his route for forty thousand dollars cash during the winter of eighteen ninety seven ninety eight thirty three thousand men and women came up over the trails on their way to dawson most of them carried packs on their backs some making numerous trips with loads of from fifty to one hundred pounds at a time some had sleds which they pulled up the mountains carrying perhaps two hundred pounds on a sled The average outfit of the Klondiker weighed about one ton, or two thousand pounds, and the cost of getting this over the trail was enormous. Mules and horses were used, and Indians were hired at the rate of seven cents and upward a pound for taking an outfit fifty miles. The natives worked in families. A man would pack from one hundred to one hundred and forty pounds, a squaw from eighty to one hundred pounds, and girls and boys from twenty-five to fifty pounds apiece. Some of the white men went into packing and teaming as a business. One man is said to have made three hundred thousand dollars by transporting the baggage and supplies of the gold seekers. Another threw a log across a stream and charged fifty cents toll for the use of his bridge. During my trip over the White Pass route, I had as a seatmate Elmer J. White, long our american consul at whitehorse his stories of the queer sights of the trail are interesting said he the men carried goods of every description i remember one prospector who packed a grindstone up the hills on his back Everyone one wondered what under the sun he was going to do with it he brought it to whitehorse and finally to dawson there he had a carpenter make him a frame for the stone when this was completed he let the miners sharpen their axes and picks at twenty-five cents apiece, they did the work while he sat back and took in a dollar or more an hour for the rent of the grindstone another man was loaded with seven by nine inch glass window panes when he got to dawson he sold them for two dollars a pane glass was so scarce at that time that beer bottles brought a price as window panes for log cabins they were piled up lengthwise or set endwise into the windows and chinked round with mud the town of white pass in those days consisted of thousands of tents occupied by men and women waiting for rafts and boats to carry them down by the lakes and river to dawson in the spring of eighteen ninety eight there were twenty thousand persons camped at the head of lake bennett awaiting the ice break and on the shores of the lake you can still see the remains of mike king's sawmill which cut lumber at the rate of eighty dollars per thousand and upward for the making of boats to cross the lake all of these settlements said mr white had their saloons and dance halls and games of chance of one kind or another the men who were crazy for amusement did all sorts of strange things i remember one night coming into a saloon at white pass where a dozen miners stood around the bar gambling for drinks their goddess of fortune was the wee insect that bobby burns immortalized in one of his poems when he saw it creeping on a young lady's bonnet. As this kind of wee beastie was very common in those days, the miners had no trouble in finding one for their sport. The louse was placed on the bar, and the gamblers laid their right hands about it at equal distances away. Then they waited to see upon whose hand it would crawl first. The unfortunate man paid for the drinks. As the crow flies, the distance from Skagway to the summit of the White Pass is only 14 miles but the railroad track is six miles longer on account of the grades our train stopped at Carcross on the crest of the pass where the waters flowing into the two oceans divide and where side by side float the flags of america and canada here within a few feet of each other are two streams one flows toward the west through united states territory and after a course of twenty-odd miles Tumbles into the Pacific at Skagway. The other winds its way on down into the Yukon and has over two thousand miles to go before it reaches the Bering Sea. I threw a couple of chips into the streams. One has long since been lost in the Pacific Ocean, and I am in hopes that the other will in time reach the same body of water not far from the Arctic. End of chapter thirteen.